Hi, I'm Ben Felder with The Frontier, and this is COVID-19 in Oklahoma, a daily podcast from The Frontier, taking a closer look at the impact the coronavirus is having in our state. Each day I'm joined by The Frontier's Cassie McClung as we talk about the coronavirus's impact, the numbers, and the questions we're asking moving forward. This podcast was recorded on Thursday evening, March 26. Hey, Cassie, how's it going? Going good. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Uh, the sound, it may sound a little bit different on the podcast. I'm trying to transition from the studio we use to my home office, which is really just a desk by a window on the other side of our living room. But I figure it's maybe smart to start trying to really bunker down. I mean, I've not been going out too much, but uh, I'm trying to maybe really, really limit my exposure to the outdoors as things kind of ramp up. Right. You know, the more you can avoid going out and about, I think the better. Yeah. But sometimes you still have to go out grocery stores. There are still essential businesses everywhere you look, according to the governor's yeah. order. <laughs> I know. I feel like it would have been easier almost to make a list of people who can't go to work. Yeah. I actually, this morning, I did have to get out. Mm-hmm. Our colleague, uh, Clifton Adcock, had wrote a story or was publishing a story that came out on Thursday afternoon about Hobby Lobby, so the giant craft chain that's based here in Oklahoma City, he thought that there might be some information posted on some doors at their distribution center. And so since he's like you are in Tulsa, I said, oh, I'll go out in the morning and see if I can find out some information, maybe take a few pictures. That that campus is massive and there were people everywhere. And it just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that there was, that this was going on. And even on the highways, there was still a decent amount of congestion in the morning rush hour so it's in some ways it's noticeable and then in other ways it's it's not yeah maybe i just feel like everyone's bunkered down in their house because i've been really bunkered down so i just assume everyone's doing it but i guess i guess not yeah my wife who's working from home as well and she actually sits next to me or on the other side of my desk and by the same window and she's looking out and sometimes she'll remark like what are these people driving by where are they going (laughs) So I feel that way, but then again, hey, I was out there driving today uh, for work. I'm not sure if that was essential or not, but... uh, Yeah, and a lot of people still, you know, a lot of people are still going to work, so it's hard for me to remember that because, you know, we've been working remote, and my husband's been working remote, so I forget how many people are part of those essential businesses. Yeah, definitely a challenge. Definitely a challenge for families, families with students, and I think we'll get into that uh, later on in the episode on some conversations I've had today with some students, parents, and, and school leaders. But first, let's start uh, latest that we know on Thursday. What what were the latest numbers on positive tests, death, hospitalizations? Okay, so we saw, you know, when we talked yesterday, we saw a pretty decent jump in numbers, and then today was the same. So today, um, the health department announced 248 confirmed cases. And there were two more deaths today. So there's been seven deaths total. And now 86 people are hospitalized. Mm. So, and you know, we've been talking about this almost every day, I think, is testing has been going up. So, and it's going to go up even more in the next, you know, week or so. So we should really be getting a clear picture of how many people are actually infected, or at least a clear picture than what we have right now. 
we keep we've talked about this before that I I almost don't know really which number to hone in on. I mean, the number of positive tests keep going up as expected as the number of tests go up. Uh, obviously, death is probably the most important number, right? But the 86 hospitalizations, I feel like that's that's one to really watch because that's what's going to put stress on the on the healthcare system. Right, and that's something I wanted to talk about a little bit more today. So, I think it was last week, or maybe it was earlier this week. It's hard to keep track of time. Um, the governor, you know, issued an executive order requiring hospitals to report, you know, their number of beds and how many people they have in the ICU. So. It was yesterday, which was um, Wednesday, the health department really started putting out detailed reports on that. So we can see that there are 35 people in the ICU across the state who tested positive for COVID-19. And there probably will be updated numbers on this today. But I thought these numbers were really interesting because I hadn't seen them before um, last night but apparently there's another 326 people in the hospital who they suspect have COVID-19 but they're awaiting their testing results and they're wow. and of those 326 people 93 of them are in the ICU wow so that's you know more than 100 people if those other 93 suspected people do test positive like that's that's quite a few people in the ICU with COVID-19 yeah and whether they have been identified as having the virus or not, they are still in ICU. They're st- still requiring intensive care. I mean, th- so that's that's putting putting a real strain on the health system. Like we said, hey, I you know I really started thinking about this a lot last night, and it was spurred by uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brian Stelter, CNN reporter. He does a nightly newsletter, kind of on all things media news. And one of the things that he had in his newsletter, and I tweeted out an excerpt of this, was that this is a hard crisis for the public to really get its arms around because we don't have that many images of it, right? We don't yeah. have photos and videos from inside hospitals for understandable reasons, right? But it's not like, you know, the refugee crisis when it really started to kind of hit a turning point in the Western world. You know, we saw some of those images of, of children and families on the coast and the shores. It, and when there's a hurricane, you know, seeing those images come in, we really just don't have that picture yet to really you know, see the gravity of the situation, but healthcare workers are telling us that it's, it's not great, especially in some other places like New York and California. Right. That's an interesting point. That's something I hadn't really thought of because, you know, I've been talking to, and you know, I know you've been really in the loop too, just talking to healthcare professionals and what people are seeing, but there really aren't those images because, you know, like you said, for privacy reasons, and I guess for ethical reasons too, you're not really seeing those people, you know, in the hospital in distress. Yeah. And at some point, maybe that changes and maybe families decide that they want to and, and medical professionals maybe feel like, that, you know, we need to kind of get some of the more of these images out there. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But just kind of thinking about this, this is kind of an interesting crisis that's, that's affecting everyone. Everyone's feeling it to some way in some way or another, but maybe not everyone's seeing it. In fact, most of us, most of us aren't aren't seeing it. Some places that are also being hit hard are nursing homes. And Cassie, on Thursday evening, you wrote about this. What, what, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So we talked a little bit briefly about this um, on our last podcast. But, you know, like you said, care facilities such as nursing homes, um, retirement homes, it's just they house a very vulnerable population. Um, people, you know, elderly people. They're more vulnerable to getting severely ill from coronavirus. As you age, 
your immune system gets weaker and it's harder to fight those infections off. And in these care facilities, there's also people with underlying medical conditions. So, you know, it's a, it's a very vulnerable population. So in Norman, there's been a lot of talk about this in local media. You might've seen it. There's a uh, nursing home, a long-term care facility where two residents in the last week have died after becoming infected with COVID-19. And the facility reported today, which is Thursday, an additional seven residents tested positive. So this is a 135-bed facility. Um, So, you know, it has the potential to affect a lot more people. And I talked to the health department a little bit about this today because this is a situation I want to be monitoring, not just this nursing home in Norman, but, you know, nursing homes across the state. So I contacted the health department today just to see whether they've been tracking cases in care facilities. And they said they are, but that's about as far as I got with the information. Um, So they're either investigating or have already investigated eight facilities in the state. And I asked them what counties the facilities were in, and um, a health department spokeswoman said they couldn't release that information because of privacy reasons. Mm. So, yeah, so I said, okay. So then I asked if they could give me a breakdown of how many facilities in the state have had confirmed cases and, you know, how many were still under investigation. And they couldn't, they, or I guess I shouldn't say couldn't, they wouldn't give me that either because of privacy laws, which, you know, I thought was really odd because usually on data stuff, at least, you know, that vague where there's no risk of really identifying anyone that can get it, but not this time. They're being yeah. kind of tight-lipped about that. It seems like they are on on multiple fronts, right? I mean, just based on seeing the coverage in other states, it seems like there's some information and data that we see shared in other states that we aren't necessarily finding here. I mean, I mean, some ways they've been open and putting out information, I think, getting better each day. I don't mean to say they've been completely secretive, but this just seems like maybe an odd one. I don't, did they give you, did you ask their justification on claiming privacy concerns? Yeah. So that's something I'm following up on because I didn't get that email to six o'clock this evening. So I want to know what privacy laws those would be. Cause I don't think HIPAA would cover a breakdown of statistics like that without location or any other identifying information. So that's something I need to look to. And I also asked um, what kind of the protocol was for when a case was identified in a nursing home. You know, do they test everyone in the home? Do they test workers? And they didn't answer that question either. So that's something um, that I'm definitely going to have to stay on. Yeah. I mean, I think there'd just be, be beyond just the, the news value of wanting to get a better handle of what's going on. I mean, there may be Oklahomans who have loved ones in nursing care facilities, maybe considering putting loved ones in nursing care facilities. It seems like this would be kind of informa- important information to know. Or that, you know, they may have a loved one in one of these facilities that, you know, maybe they need to, to check in on or, I don't know, just a lot of reasons to maybe want to know this information. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what the what some more of their responses are. Definitely. And, you know, there are individual nursing homes who have been releasing some information, but I've only seen reports on two of those facilities. I haven't seen anything on the other six. So 
I mean, clearly there's some information that's getting lost out there. Yeah. I I published a story this morning, and that seems like a week ago. I forgot <laughs> about it. About a pediatrician that I spent some time with earlier this week, and her concern was that she was seeing a lot of well-child checkups canceled, which are kind of the annual you know checkups for, for young children to come in. And these are also times when you get a lot of your vaccinations for children. And a lot of parents who are fearful, understandably, about coming out in public and coming to a doctor's office were canceling these appointments. And she said she's worried that, hey, if we don't stay on top of these vaccinations, we could see a, a chicken pox or a measles or a whooping cough outbreak, you know, as, as we're dealing with this coronavirus outbreak. It was interesting. Some, a, a doctor at, at the Children's Hospital at OU kind of agreed and said, yeah, that's important. We would want people to keep up with them. But if it doesn't, if we're not keeping up as well as we should, because everyone is kind of staying bunkered in at home, that maybe we wouldn't see quite that outbreak because people aren't mingling around. So I thought that was kind of interesting and important to know. And then the Department of Health said, hey, yeah, we want people to get vaccinations, our children to get vaccinations, but you know, if they safely can do so. And, and this a particular pediatrician in Oklahoma City actually has two entrances. When you uh, get off the elevator at the eighth floor, there's two entrances, one for those that are well and one for those that are showing any kind of symptoms of any kind of sickness. So they're keeping that separated. And another thing that she said to me that was kind of interesting was, you know, she's really pivoted to telemedicine as much as possible. And she actually said, like, I, I was against it at first, but now I've, I'm becoming a big believer in it. She said, you know, you can't do flu tests and strep tests, but, you know, parents can kind of show their kids through it with a flashlight. And, and even though you maybe, maybe don't have confirmation that, that of what the illness is, you can still prescribe antibiotics and she acknowledged maybe we're over prescribing or we're prescribing in a case that doesn't necessarily need it but she still felt pretty comfortable in her ability to do that and she also said that a lot of the children kind of find it to be fun so I kind of thought that was uh, right I could see I could see there being a novelty to that for kids but that's interesting because I feel like you know for the most part what I'm reading about coronavirus you don't see a lot of discussion from pediatricians because it kind of seems like the virus, it seems like, you know, it spares children for the most part. Did any of the pediatricians you've talked to address that or or do they have any concern for children when this, you know, as this pandemic is going on? Well, there was concern and none that I talked to had seen specific cases. I spent a lot of time kind of reading the kind of the official CDC guidance on this issue and like you said children don't seem to be quite as symptomatic Uh, they're not showing those kind of severe symptoms but they they can contract it at some of the same rates as adults and and they definitely can spread it to you know other other children or or other adults so there is still a reason to be uh, careful and and still practicing those social distancing with children as well and a lot of parents are doing that because they're not, you know, they're maybe not going out to the doctor's office. You know, one thing that was also interesting is, you know, I've been working on this story and then the governor's executive order comes out that canceled all non-essential medical procedures, even dentist appointments. So I wondered, well, is a regular doctor's office, a pediatrician going to still be seeing children for just routine checkups? And I texted uh, Dr. Aston in the story and I said, hey, are you, did the order impact you at all? And she was like, I don't know, you tell me. She goes, I'm not sure. <laughs> she said, we're still seeing patients. So um, I, it's understandably still kind of confusing for doctors and, and, and health professionals. But, uh, but as of uh, when I talked to her right before the story, she was still, uh, still seeing patients. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's something I hadn't thought of. I feel like, you know, you've been really covering 
this issue, looking at how it's affecting families and children. And you mentioned, you know, you've been talking to a lot of school leaders this week with school buildings being closed down for the rest of the academic school year. Um, kind of, you know, when schools are trying to implement distance learning, what are school leaders saying is that panning out for everyone? Yeah, so on Tuesday, was it Tuesday? Wednesday, the State Board of Education officially voted to close down school sites for the rest of the academic year and instructed districts to pivot towards distance learning. And and what I wrote about on Wednesday was that this is going to be a myriad of of programs and options. I mean, no no two districts are really going to look alike. Some are well-equipped to do distance learning through technology, through one-to-one, which means each student already has a, a laptop or device that they take home with them. So that may be a little bit more seamless. Other districts, not only do they not have the devices, but kids may not have access to internet at home. And so it's really going to look different. I spent a lot of today talking to school leaders and some parents and teachers, and I think the big takeaway for me was that not only is this going to look different in different districts, but some districts have the luxury, and I use that word, you know, I know that's, I mean, no district right now is in a luxurious situation, but some are going to have the ability to plan weeks and months ahead, and some districts like Oklahoma City and Tulsa are just trying to make it through today. And what I mean by that is just the the level of supportive services that a lot of these uh, high-poverty school districts provide. Uh, You know, when you close down a school site, you now have to scramble and say, okay, how are we going to meet our students' needs in the way that we were doing when they were showing up? For example, I mean, things that you wouldn't even think about. I talked to someone today who said, you know, a lot of uh, in Oklahoma City schools where they have teen uh, mother programs, the school is where they get their baby formula because people donate and, and partners provide that at the school and that's where they get it. Well, the school's closed and now they're kind of scrambling how do we get that formula to these teen moms that are at home. Right. Um, and even just little things too, like uh, everyone is, uh, you know, these schools are passing out meals, breakfasts and lunch. Uh, today in Oklahoma City, when the temperatures got into the 90s, which Cassie would normally be the big story of the day, but we're not even right. really concerned about weather anymore. Um they are scrambling to try to get tents so that these health uh, or see these uh, meal workers can kind of have some shade, you know, just get baked in the sun. So a, lo- a lot of things like that. I, I'm going to tomorrow morning, I'm going to speak to a, a couple of teachers who work with alternative students, alternative education students. So those that are kind of working on credit recovery and trying to play catch up, because I think that's going to be a really important thing to see is how do schools mitigate those circumstances to where before spring break, if you were needing to really catch up to graduate or to advance a year, what are districts going to do? I I talked to a a superintendent in uh, Shawnee who told me that we're going to have to do different things for different students, you know, kind of depending on what their abilities are. The, The state department of ed is supposed to, by the end of the day, Friday to put out guidance for districts on what distance learning can look like. And the way I understand it's going to be kind of a menu of options and districts can either choose one of those options and say this is what we're going to do and they have to turn in their plan to the, to the department of ed to get approval they can say we're going to do one of these options or we have our own plan and those plans may be a little bit more scrutinized by by the state but uh, the state department of ed has also instructed districts to be you know as as gracious as they can to students right i mean this right. is not a time they feel like for really cracking the whip academically because in a lot of ways that that may not be fair so i think superintendents are trying to push kids to graduation push kids to advance but but trying to provide some kind of 
education in the process, knowing that it's going to fall short. I think the thing that I'm really thinking a lot about with my next story is that many of us already know that there's huge inequities in education already, depending on zip code and schools. I feel like that gap is just going to widen incredibly. And it's not going to be just an Oklahoma thing. I mean, I think we're going to see this in a lot of other states. But uh, I talked with the uh, director of the Boys and Girls Club because, you know, they deal with a lot of Oklahoma City students, and they've been, they've been closed. Um, she, she estimated that half of their kids have had a parent that lost, have already lost their job through this. Oh, wow. And, you know, and that's just, a, you know, an extreme burden on some of these children. Um, she also said that while we cannot – serve our kids because we can't be open we they have been given permission to open up to serve the kids of healthcare workers starting next monday so that that's going to be kind of an interesting thing to watch as well and to see what does child care for our healthcare workers look like but uh there's so many moving aspects of education i feel like that's just going to be something to really you know to really spend some time diving in over the next days and weeks to this is the biggest shock to the education system i think we've ever seen at least in a generation Definitely. And it seems like there's so many different angles you're working right now. And I think, you know, when, you know, especially if you're you're not super tied into the education system, maybe you don't have kids who go to school, that it's easy to forget how many services are wrapped into schools for these kids and for these parents, too, I guess. Um, And I'm going to, yeah, I'm just really interested in hearing more about what you find. But something I've been thinking about today, and I'm not sure if you've I'm sure this is that come up at some point, but what do kids do with the distance learning if they don't have internet connection? Because it's not like they can go to the library or. Yeah, there, there may be a couple opportunities, a couple options, and there's, there's not going to be an easy answer for everyone, obviously. But uh, I know some internet providers like Cox are trying to work on providing um, some, some, discounted options or free options. There is a program in Oklahoma City. I'm trying to get some more information on this as well, but just that will give uh, low-income households uh, two, I think it's two or three months of free internet access. And and I don't know what that looks like beyond that, if there's a contract or or what that might be. But uh, so there is some work going on. I know uh, telecoms leaders have talked to district officials, not just in Oklahoma City, but it's happening in Tulsa and other cities as well. So they're trying to figure that out as well. And then, like I said, there's just going to be kind of a hodgepodge of solutions. There's a church in Shawnee that has 10 classrooms. They are going to put a computer in every classroom and allow students to reserve the classroom for two hours at a time and then scrub the place down after the two hours is up for the next kid. And it'll be interesting to see how many families take advantage of that. Um, I really feel like, though, that the biggest inequity might be just what does the support look like at home, right? And so much of education is dependent on that home environment. But like, so for example, my son who's eight and in a lot of ways is going to be okay for a variety of reasons, right? But, uh, you know, he's got both parents working at home. He's got access to technology. Uh, my wife's done a great job already of kind of structuring activities and stuff. I mean, I don't think she's she's hasn't been zealous about it. He's still kind of, I think, enjoying his time. But, you know, staying occupied and, and some of it is educational. Now compare that with a household where the parent has to work. They have no option. And a kid, you know, another eight-year-old kid is left on their own. Um, so I, th- I think I think the home situation is going to be really where a lot of this inequity comes through. And it'll be interesting to see how school districts are able to step up. 
I don't say that like the districts need blame on this. I mean, I think they're trying to do the best that they can with a pretty horrible situation. But what do we see in terms of other community partners? Do they do they come up? Do they kind of rally around uh, schools and students? I think will be will be interesting to watch. Definitely. And it is worrisome thinking about those kids who don't have the support at home or, you know, do have that working parent. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see, you know, kind of the human side of this crisis, you know, how those kids are doing and what kind of maybe community support steps up and maybe, you know, builds that support system back around them while school's out. Yeah. And I think I asked this question of Superintendent Hoffmeister in yesterday's podcast, um, but I recalled a couple years ago when we had the teacher walk out, uh, which seemed like the biggest education story we were going to see in quite some time, but uh, uh, kids were out for, if I remember right, I think I, I, I was, it was shortly after spring break. I, I think, I know here in Oklahoma City, I think my son was out for a week for spring break. He went back for a week, and then it was two weeks of the walkout. So three out of four weeks, uh, students were out of school. And I remember talking to Superintendent Hoffmeister at the time, and she was extremely concerned about uh, the, the, how students might be falling behind in just two weeks. Uh, so, I mean, it stands the reason that obviously there's going to be a lot of concern when you're talking about months. And it may be not worth really talking about too much right now, but there are many in education circles are saying plan for now, but also plan, just put plans in place for the chance that we don't go back in August or September. And I think there, I think a lot of uh, state education officials are taking that seriously as a, as a real possibility. Not that it's likely, but that it, that it, that it's a real possibility. So definitely will be kind of hard to imagine that far ahead. Yeah, I try not to do that, Cassie. I try not to think too. <laughs> I try not to think about uh, that that far ahead. But uh, so let's end on a lighter note. I don't. I think I forgot to do this yesterday. I didn't ask you about your your good moment of the day. But let's get back to it today, if we can, as we wrap up here. Did you have a Did you have a good moment today? I did. I know we were talking about. You know, it was kind of unseasonably hot today, but I love this weather. So I spent a lot of time outside today. You know, just walking around my neighborhood, being in my yard, um, cleaning up a little bit, working with, you know, the windows open, my back door open. So it was, it was really nice. And, you know, just let fresh air in. And even though, you know, we're kind of social distancing, isolated, it's, it's nice to get outside and, you know, kind of get, feel like, you know, you're seeing your neighbors, you're in your community. So I think that really helps kind of lift the cloud yeah, definitely. I, you know, the park near our house that we walk in most every day, it's, it's, I find it kind of awkward because when, you know, we're about to pass someone, we always kind of walk like even into the grass away from the person. Like, you know, we hope they don't think we're being rude and obviously they know the circumstances and the situations, but definitely good to get out. I think my good moment today, um, we, my, we love to eat out. I mean, I love, I love to cook, but we love to go out to restaurants here in town. And I don't think, we had we definitely have not been out to eat since everything got shut down and we kind of stocked up on food i mean i don't think we hoarded or anything but you know we got meals for for several days at a time and then tonight we're like you know what let's let's do one of these takeout options and um so this was the first time that we had ate outside of the house i believe or at least got food outside the house there's a barbecue place just down the road from us called iron star and it was just kind of 
I don't know. It was I, I called it in the order, just drove down there. They brought it out. A couple other people showed up to get their food. It was just kind of nice to see some life at some of these restaurants, even if it wasn't on the inside. Um, just a kind of reminder that these businesses are still here and uh, will be here. Many of them will still be here when this is over, hopefully. And just uh, just kind of a memory of the uh, a life of yesterday. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I've only you know I've went out a couple times, and it is it's kind of nice see reminder that you know even though everything's closed people are still trying to support local businesses they're still going out you know life is life is you know it's still going yeah life maybe a little on. bit too much at times but yeah uh, but it is it is still going so well cassie thanks for your time tonight good work today on the Thank stories you. and uh, thanks for for sharing and i guess we will just do this again tomorrow sounds good talk to you then all right stay healthy you too bye